Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra. I come to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the United States. Today is the 10th of July and the year is 2020, at least tentatively so. So we're going to be recording today and as I like to say at the beginning of my lectures, after I describe to you why I'm doing it, I'm doing this because I have nothing better to do. So let's get started. Now recall that we've been discussing the proteases and the protease inhibitors in disease states. We talked a fair amount about hepatocellular carcinoma, pancreatic adenocarcinoma, and we also been talking about airway passage diseases. Particularly last time we touched upon the coronavirus in association with certain elastases and the potential for other proteases that are associated with neutrophils in uh, the lung tissue. So today I'm going to try to synthesize that information more carefully and get you to a point where you understand where both the proteases and the protease inhibitors and the lipids that are involved in lipid uh, membrane wrapped transport can all come together to link to tissue damage via either necrotosis or ferroptosis, which of course are the degradative apoptotic pathways that are linked to ceramide. So let's just do right, let's get right into that. Now remember that the alpha-1 antitrypsin is the most abundant uh, serine protease inhibitor in human plasma. Now combine that with what we've been talking about with neutrophils, which are innate immune cells, which are associated with infection. And then the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, the acute respiratory um, diseases, as well as just straightforward RDS. And associate that with the potential for coronavirus severity. So, the alpha-1 antitrypsin exhibits a potent inhibitory capacity against neutrophil serine proteases, particularly neutrophil elastase being one of those proteases. As mentioned several lectures ago, we talked about the inherited alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency called AATD in the literature. And we told you that, that was linked to early onset pulmonary emphysema and sequelae. Now, we left you last time with a discussion of molecular polymorphisms of the uh, antitrypsin molecule and its putative effects on neutrophils. Remember that there are multiple molecular forms of the antitrypsin. There's the native, the latent, the polymeric, cleaved, peptide, oxidized, nitrosylated, and variably glycated forms. We also told you that there are binding partners for these antitrypsin molecules, including proteases themselves, cytokines and chemokines, leukotrienes, free heme, that porphyrin ring structure, complement factors, free fatty acids, lipoproteins, and that combining the molecular forms, the multiple molecular forms of AAT with binding partners can either stimulate or inhibit neutrophils and when that occurs to those innate immune cells, you can get migration, you can get chemotaxis and adhesion, 
You can get actual protease activity, for example, from the elastases. You can get chemokine and cytokine release causing a pro-inflammatory response. You can generate intracellular phagocytosis uh, via uh, associated and via the generation of reactive oxygen species. You also get the production of a degranulation mechanism, which will then release the cellular contents of the neutrophils. And you also make these neutrophil extracellular traps or nets, which we introduced last time. So let's remember that liver cells synthesize and release most of the circulating antitrypsin in the blood. And that the normal levels vary between about 0 0.9 and 2 gram per liter. So it's a fair amount of polypeptide coming from the liver in the form of this antitrypsin molecule. Now, epithelial cells, pulmonary alveoli cells, tissue macrophages, blood monocytes, and indeed granulocytes in general, also contribute to a pool of circulating AAT. Now, the granule proteins of circulating neutrophils are produced during maturation of the neutrophil precursors in the bone marrow. The transcriptional product of messenger RNA for AAT is found in the promyelocytic stage of differentiation. And of course, it's highly upregulated in the mature polymorphonuclear cells. But things are more elaborate than this combinatorial theory. Lipopolysaccharide not only upregulates the expression of the full length antitrypsin molecule, but also C terminal peptides of AAT with their own immunomodulatory functions, particularly of on human neutrophils during, for example, sepsis. Indeed, peptides of AAT, so not the full length, are thought to be the result of cleavage of AAT by nonspecific proteases. And those include neutrophil collagenases and gelatinases, as well as the paradigmatic elastase. Now, of significance is this emerging idea that peptide AAT aren't just cleavage products, but can actually be new transcripts that are generated by the spliceosome. And these would then generate unique peptides exclusively within the activated neutrophil lineage. So these spice variant neutrophil AAT peptides often stay clear, but that is they become sequestered in granules. <clears throat> and the granules also have associated with them neutrophil elastase and thus do not inhibit and indeed become localized to the cell membrane with the elastase within lipid wraps together with a protein called flotillin and presumably with the sphingolipid proapoptotic ceramide. Taken together, the existing data from the literature imply that neutrophils might represent the, a local source then of this antitrypsin protein. So lipid rafts, remember, at the plasma membrane are going to have a sphingolipid associated with cholesterol. And the sphingolipid is often ceramide, so the molar content of, of cholesterol and ceramide dictate the mobility of that lipid raft. And then intracellularly, in association with hydrogen bonding and also with, other, with covalent bonding with glycerophospholipids, uh, and these, again, you see sphingolipids, glycerophospholipids, and cholesterol. You have three different species of lipid here. The flotillins will make heterooligomers. 
And these proteins themselves will signal throughout the intracellular region. And what they're doing is mobilizing the activation of the lipid raft mediated expression of genes through a series of kinase cascades. So this is a highly regulated system and it's dependent upon the lipid species in the membrane, as well as these flotillin proteins. Now remember the serine proteases, there are multiple members of this family. So just to remind you where elastase might fit in, you've got trypsin we talked about in great detail, we talked about chymotrypsin, and now elastase is taking front stage. They're all structurally related uh, and they are all essentially esterases. So they're related in terms of their structure to butyral esterase, liver aliesterase, and the acetylcholine esterase, which is ubiquitous. So there's an active site, it's a ser active serine, so that's why they're called serine proteases. So you have cholesterol, uh, you also have this cholinesterase being sort of a parent protein, and then its linkage to trypsin and elastase and chymotrypsin, even thrombin you can generate a protein family tree from. So there's a lot of sequence homology. So I just wanted to remind you of this whole family of proteins, but they're basically esterases. So the neutrophil serine proteases, like the elastase, the PR3, which is protease 3, and then cathepsin G, all of those are from the neutrophil. They're all very potent proteases when they're in their active form. And they're formed during the promyelocytic phase of neutrophil maturation. And they're stored in granules called azurophilic granules within those granulocytes, which are the innate immune cell we call the neutrophil. So the neutrophil activation by TNF-alpha or even chemoattractants like platelet activating factor, which is itself a lipid, or uh, cytokines like interleukin-8 or bacterial lipopolysaccharide, any of those molecules can cause granule translocation to the cell surface of the neutrophil and an extracellular secretion of those proteases, such as the neutrophil elastase. So those secreted serine proteases function synergistically with the elastase being required for the clearance of or, or many gram-negative bacteria whereas cathepsin is essential for resistance against Staphylococcus aureus. But also, that same protease seems to be a potent antagonist to fungal infections as well. So there's a complete constellation of diseases that are being controlled by neutrophil-mediated release or degranulation and then release of these, uh, of these proteases. And they work, again, high, in a hierarchical manner but also synergistically. So the elastase PR3 and the cathepsin mediate the release of interleukin-8 by proteolytically engaging membrane receptors like toll-like receptors, and also the PARs, which are protease-activated receptors. That's a generic term, obviously. They also cleave these proteases integrins, which then cause an intramembranous signaling event which goes into the intracellular system and turns on or shuts off kinases. Now all three of those proteases process procytokines, which we've talked about in the past, such as the family of interleukin-1, 
So that includes interleukin-1 beta, interleukin-18, interleukin-33. All of those are hyperactive pro-inflammatory cytokines when they are matured through the processing of the protease activity. So when neutrophil serine proteases enter the extracellular space, massive destruction of the matrix and potentially destroy cell layer integrity in both circulating leukocytes and lymphocytes plus endothelial and epithelial cell layers is legion unless it's met with that molecular weapon that we've been just talking about which has evolved to engage and destroy the protease activity and that's via the agency of the inhibitors such as the alpha-1 antitrypsin molecule that that peptide now alpha-1 antitrypsin well-recognized inhibitor of human neutrophil serine proteases second order constants of association with AAT with the elastase are somewhere on the order of 6.5 to 10 to the 7. Uh, that is mole per second. And crystallographic studies have revealed that the binding of neutrophil serine proteases to the AAT peptide cleaves the reactive center loop of that, of that binding system in the protease. It destroys both the protease and the inhibitor. The cleavage of the reactive center loop results in a complex formation in which the protease is flipped to the opposite end of the AAT molecule, and therefore it is suicide inactivated, the suicide molecule being, of course, the inhibitor. Now, that's a one-to-one -to, -one to suicide inhibitor to protease stoichiometry. So it's no wonder that there are massive amounts of serpents that are found in circulation. I told you it's a really high amount of serpent being generated just consistently, prophylactically from the liver. And that's to, to generate the potentiation of any negative activity of proteases as induced by circulating neutrophils during any threatening stress event. Remember, every stress event has to be turned around and shut off. So you get all these protease activity, all these pro-inflammation responses, you have to have an immediate response coming right afterwards that curve is coming down to drop that curve down so that you don't get any more proteolytic activity, therefore causing a massive inflammatory system. And then therefore, real tissue damage, it can result in higher morbidity, in fact, even in some systems, death. So here's a paper that was published in Pediatric Pulmonology um, in 2018 published in July of that year, so it's volume 53, and the pages on that are 872 to 880. Now, I want you to see this is a correlative of what we've been talking about. Remember what I do in authentic biochemistry. I give you some information that I want you to be able to carry forward into other um, scientific literature. So this is a pediatric pulmonological paper. Let's take a look at what it says. First of all, the title gives, gives it away. The title of this paper was Neutrophil Elastase Correlates with Increased Sphingolipid Content in CF Sputum, that's Cystic Fibrosis. So this is the reason this is published in Pediatric Pulmonology is because they're looking at CF in children. Now, what does this paper tell us, this 2018 paper? There was a significant association between the concentration of active neutrophil elastase with ceramide, sphingomyelin, remember ceramide can be made from sphingomyelin, 
and a monohexosyl ceramide, as well as sphingosine 1-phosphate. Now, I know that you've heard me talk about all these different lipids in the sphingolipid family before. Uh, the, the monohexosyl ceramide is basically a glucosyl or glycosylated ceramide. Okay. Now, the presence of M of MRSA, that's methicillin-resistant staph aureus, and female gender further strengthened the association of the neutrophil elastase with the sphingolipids that I just mentioned to you. So they're looking at which of the pediatric patients seem to have this locus of biomolecular events. And one of them is having MRSA and being female. That in combination with having CF, it's a pretty, pretty um, unhealthy young women, uh, associate with high levels of neutrophil elastase and sphingolipid association. Now, the elastase may increase, of course, the pro-inflammatory sphingolipid signaling, and the association is further strengthened in female patients and, in, and, in, and that when they have MRSA. So that's a really important key function. When you have a really high um, pre uh, morbidity presentation in CF in females with MRSA, it's because of this neutrophil elastase in association with those sphingolipids. We know that means a membrane raft is being made, and we also know that's going to cause this, these two necrotic forms of apoptosis, which can cause tissue damage and death which is going to decrease oxygenation of the blood. Now, here's another paper. This was published also in 2018. This is in the American Journal of Physiology, Lung Cell Molecular Physiology, published in January of 2018. That's volume 314, pages 206 to 214. So this paper told me that neutrophil elastase increases, increases airway ceramide levels via an upregulation of the de novo pathway for, for ceramide biosynthesis because it's an upregulation of the protein serine palmitoglycol transferase. Remember that the de novo synthesis of sphingolipids, that's the initial step. And we'll go back and we'll, I will review really quickly in a moment um, how you make sphingolipids. Now, that, that tells you that the elastase is, in, is associated with ceramide and that ceramide association is because the elastase caused an increase in the activity of the novo pathway, the serine palmitic wheel transferase, right? So that's what I—that's the important point here. So third paper I want you to keep in mind is a paper published in the Journal of Cystic Fibrosis, published in February 2020, that's volume 10, um, S1569. This paper talks about neutrophil elastase activity and our old friend myeloperoxidase and the fact that it correlated with bronchoalveolar lavage fluids or BALF, B-A-L-F. Elastase, myeloperoxidase, also known as MPO, and BALF, okay? So the bioactive lipids in bronchoalveolar lavage fluids correlate with lung disease in CF children. There may be a causative role of airway lysophosphatidic acid in oxidative stress 
in the progression of early CF lung disease. That's what that paper told us. So you see, how we're, now we're starting to get a dialectical event ontology of how lung diseases are associated with neutrophils, activated neutrophils degranulating, making this esterase known as elastase, and then the activity of that protease in causing uh, the increase in the maturation of pro-inflammatory cytokines, ultimately leading to membrane lipid wrap mobility, inducing apoptosis, and then airway passage pathway degradation. Okay, so all of that comes together. All right. So let me talk now about the pathway itself. Now, I told you that the linkage between the palmitoyl-CoA um, and, uh, and serine has to do with the synthesis of 3-ketodehydrosphingosine. 3-ketodehydrosphingosine is then reduced to sphinganine. And then from there, we make um, dihydrosphinganine and then dihydroceramide. And ultimately, then the last step is a desaturase enzyme. Um, you call it the hydroceramide desaturase, making the ceramide molecule. We can also make ceramide via sphingomyelinase activity, both the neutral and acidic forms of it. And we can also make ceramide via, um, a, from, from sphingosine, right? From ceramide synthase, right? So there are multiple pathways. Finally, there's also the other salvage pathway, which comes from glucosyl ceramides, from glucosyl ceramides. So you have at least four pathways for the synthesis of ceramide. I just told you the one that mattered here on this whole, whole discussion of CF seems to be the one that's linked to um, the serine palmitoyl wheel transferase. That's the de novo pathway. That's the de novo pathway. So I want you to keep that in mind because if it was a salvage pathway, it mean you would be talking about preformed sphingomyelin. And that's common in a lot of our stories. We talked about ceramide induction of apoptosis when we were discussing the paradigm in tumors, right? And also in particularly glioblastoma and the degradation of neurons, right? Here we're looking at the de novo pathway being unticked, because, or, or ticked up, excuse me, upticked because of the activity of the elastase which was secreted by the neutrophil, coming because of chemoattractants or LPS or stress response to a particular region of the body. And here we're talking lung, and that's why I took you through the cystic fibrosis literature. Okay? That's why I, I want to recap because I want to make sure I'm not losing you on where we're at and why I started talking about molecular pathways of biosynthesis of ceramide, because it's really important to understand that all of these pathways are not necessarily functioning at the same time. So in order for you to make glycerol ceramide, which seems to be very important in this process to make the ultimately to make um, the neutrophil extracellular uh, systems, the nets that we've been talking about, right? You have to get the synthesis of glucosyl ceramide. Now, as it turns out, you can make it either by using a ceramide transport protein, 
So this is going to link up the synthesis of ceramide between the Golgi apparatus and the ER, and from the ER to the mitochondria. Okay, so there is actually a protein called CERT, CERT, which is a ceramide transport protein. Now, when CERT functions to catalyze the event to generate membrane lipid rafts that ultimately are going to be translocated to the plasma membrane so that they can associate with the degranulation and release of ceramide at the same time inducing apoptosis, that you need the CERT transport that's going to facilitate the correct intraorganellar arrangement of that ceramide molecule first synthesized in the lumen of the ER so that associates correctly either with the Golgi or with the plasma membrane. So if you get non-cert or cert independent means of moving ceramide, which is caused by ER Golgi plasma membrane fusion, which happens in cells from other stress responses, you don't get the tr correct translocation of the ceramide membrane lipid raft, and you don't get the protease induction. And you require this glucosyl ceramide to be synthesized for that to work at the get-go. So see how complicated this can be, right? And it's complicated and it's complex. It's both, right? It's complicated by the various um, incoming stimuli that's going to induce this system to come into full play and release the elastase, for example, from the neutrophil, or any other components lacking, for example, flotillin heterodimerization, when you would get a dysfunctional system generated, which either could cause, it, cause the system to shut down completely, disarm itself, and not induce this very powerful pro-inflammatory response, which would cause disease, or could dysregulate the system so that it's constantly turned off or turned on, which also would be a negative effect on the pathophysiology. That's why I'm giving you all this extra information. And it's that extra information. It's what you need to understand how this functions. So I'm going to leave you here uh, with just trying to, trying to leave this last aspect with you is that sphingolipid metabolism is linked to increased inflammation, and that's in association with neutrophil elastase-mediated pathways in the airway. So that brings us right back around to diseases of the lungs, including um, those can be associated with viral pneumonia, such as may be linked to coronavirus. And we're going to cap that off and finish that next time, perhaps in a video lecture, and then I'm going to finish off this whole discussion of the anti-protease anti protease system and get back to another topic because I want to leave this system behind eventually because I want to bring back uh, the components of disease state that work intracellularly. Here I've been talking about trafficking with different cells. And so remember way back when, this would have been in May, I think, I was talking about T cells and B cells. So I'm going to bring them back into a causal event ontology as it relates to these diseases of the airways, including such things as components of viral pneumonia, 
that could be linked to COPD, ARDS, or just plain old respiratory distress syndrome. All of these are linked to the potential morbidity and sometimes mortality that can occur with the coronavirus. This is ultimately where I'm going with this. So this is important for pharmaceutical scientists as well as for people that are studying at the, as virologists or immunologists to be able to recombine all of this literature to get a good handle on what's happening at the pathobiochemical event level. So I'm going to leave you right now with saying bye for now.